Hey, episode 63, let's go. In honor of Jeff Saturday, my favorite uh, center of all time. He was number 63. Really? Yeah. But this podcast is about the Olympics. It is. The 63rd annual Olympics. No. 2020 Tokyo. 53rd annual Olympics. First of all, the Olympics are actually every four years. Five if there's COVID. Yes. No, um, You know what? We should actually give a little bit of a history about the Olympics. I don't think that many people know the history of the Olympics, including myself. So how are we going to give a history? But I, well, I think we can imagine what things would have been like years ago um, in like the, the Roman Colosseum. I do really appreciate the fact that it, it is sports. And let's think about, about this for a moment. What else do we have besides the Olympics where every single country comes together, just about every single country? including North Korea, to play evenly and play fair in the arena of sports and competition. Put aside our differences. Yeah, we, we went and competed against Nazi Germany at one point and dominated them, mind you. We did. And I say we as in because I was born in America, but take that as you will. But it, I think if you take a step back from it, you think about it, and I never thought about this. That's pretty amazing, like watching the come, everyone, the walkouts and the celebration and the stadiums this year is a little bit more somber because of COVID and there's no fans, but it, it's just great to see so many people all throughout our entire world, our entire globe come together, put aside their differences for the sake of competition, for the sake of sport. For the sake of sport, man. And right in the middle of a global pandemic, still in the middle of it, sadly. Yeah, sadly surging in Tokyo, so they can't um, have fans. And I know people in Japan and Tokyo are not necessarily happy about having to host this. Um, but we march on. We march on, exactly, man. Like we we march on with the torch, right? And we pass the torch along, right, to the to the next generation. You know, we don't lay down even for a pandemic. You know, we don't stop the train. You know, the the, the games are postponed, but you know they're here now. I don't know about you, but I feel like it's really uplifted the global community. You know, it's really been just kind of a, you know, a, a positive transition, you know, from all the horrible news that we hear about every day, you know, deaths from COVID and, you know, this and that, like, it's great to be able to focus on, you know, the things that really matter, right? All the stuff you were talking about, like togetherness, community, like teamwork, greatness, you know, folks giving their all right, for the sake of their country. You know, these are just the things that we love. We all love. This is, this is an area that we really can all come together. Yeah, it's great to see because all these athletes and they get up there, they win and they talk about how they wanted to do, do it for their country. They wanted to represent their flag. And this year, there's so much to talk about and we'll get into it. There's been um, Fiji winning the first uh, sevens rugby uh, Olympic gold. That was huge for their country. We got the Philippines got their first gold medal in any type of Olympics. So today, just to set the stage and then we'll get into it. We There's a lot to talk about. So we're going to start off by talking about Simone Biles. We have to in that whole situation. Very polarizing topic for a lot of people that I've seen. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the team dynamics and the mental fitness and the competitive greatness, these same themes we've always talked about and in reference to uh, these athletes, because there's some great athletes, great teams, great issues. And then also a lot of barriers are being broken in this, these Olympics from mothers competing at high levels from, like I mentioned before, countries winning their first golds, uh, new sports. So I don't know. You want to, you want to go ahead and jump in? Yeah, man. Yeah.
And then so, so look, right, breaking news. I mean, the greatest gymnast of all time, possibly the greatest Olympic athlete of all time, announced uh, just this past week that she had to drop out of a major competition because of mental health challenges that she was dealing with. It really kind of took the world by storm because, you know, I mean, certainly here uh, in this country, and we, we talked about this many, many times on this podcast, um, for the last few years, we've had high profile athletes come out publicly, you know, on a national scale, national level, and, you know, talk about their mental health challenges, talk about the impact it's had um, on them in, in their respective sports. But, you know, this, this really has not been necessarily like an international conversation, right? Like it's been something that, you know, I think we here in the States, you know, we, we tend to be a little bit more progressive in certain ways, particularly, you know, when it comes to, to at least, you know, public discourse and, you know, challenging, you know, conservative views. But internationally, uh, you know, I, I feel like this is the first time that, you know, I've seen, you know, the whole world, right, has had to confront uh, the implications of mental health um, and, and the ways in which it can really affect people's lives, even, you know, great people, right, people that have great talents. And um, so, yeah, man, it, you know, I think that naturally, uh, it sparked conversations uh, in many different circles, many people that would never really be, you know, be talking about mental health, you know, would never have had a reason to, to have these types of discussions are, 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 are having to confront these things. And, you know, whenever something like that happens, you know, it, it you know, has its way of kind of, you know, making you kind of have to, to look on the inside, right, in, in your own, uh, in your own life, your own home, you know, your own family your community, your neighborhood, and, and kind of what what's happening there. And, you know, you, you kind of are forced to do some inventory. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's kind of what's been going on this week. Yeah, there's the Simone Biles story is so fascinating. And it, it's just a story that is representative of so much more than just the individual. Um, it's a representative of us as a society, like you mentioned, but we do this thing with athletes and we've talked about this, how we idolize them, we put them on pedal pedestals because they can perform Mm -hmm. at the highest level with their with their athletics within their sport and whenever there's a sign of, of weakness whether that be on or off the, the field of play we we tend to tear them down immediately um, especially the, the all-time greats especially when we start to label people as goats as greatest of all time um, and we've done specific podcasts about competitive greatness if you go back into our litany of podcasts talking about the likes of michael jordan tom brady lebron james and so on and so forth and Simone Biles, by all means, is, is in that conversation. So a lot of people, and then Simone herself wearing the, the goat symbol on her uh, leotard at one point, thought that that was very un-goat-like to, to leave a competition after a vault um, when there was no obvious injury. Uh, now, if someone hurt themselves, broke their leg or ankle and couldn't compete, no one would bat an eye. Right. Although people brought up Carrie Strug and how she did a vault on one leg. But this is totally different or actually in a lot of ways, this is similar because mental health and for me, mental health and physical health are essentially one of the same. Mm -hmm. um, they're equal. They're they're intertwined. And when you have an individual 
as decorated and as that's been in the spotlight essentially her, her entire life. We got a six-time Olympic medalist, four-time gold medalist, um, leave the competition. You got to be able to take a step back and realize she had to have a justifiable reason. And she's talked about how it was her mentals, um, something called the twisties in midair, which is it's pretty scary when you read about it. It's essentially a gymnastics term that when they are in midair, they lose their sense of where they are. It's almost like vertigo in midair. Wow. And imagine trying to do whatever, a triple, quadruple twist and losing your sense of direction. And you could land on your neck. You could land on your arm. You could seriously injure yourself. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why all of a sudden people are not trusting her judgment and saying, oh, no, you're soft or oh, you're an embarrassment or oh, you're not the goat. When... First off, most of the people that are saying this are either not high-level athletes and they're, they're, or they're not mental health professionals, so they don't under, quite understand it. Mm-hmm. But this is someone who, who, who stepped out knowing that she couldn't compete at her highest or her best, allowed teammates to step in, and they secured a silver medal. Worked out. I mean, I mean it's, no, it's not a gold, but it was a silver medal. And they, you see how excited her teammates were. That's the biggest indicator, her teammates her coaches, yeah. high-level athletes from all over the country applauding her for her decision. And guess what happened? There's a silver lining for everything. She just stepped out of the individual all around, and guess who won? There you go. Suni Lee came in, stepped up, got gold medal for the United States. So I, I personally see this as a decision. At the end of the day, she made a decision, and it was a courageous decision, to prioritize her mental health in that situation over competing. Yeah. And I think in that situation, we, we have to – that's a powerful decision to make and not a lot of courage. Yeah. Not everyone's going to be, we have, we've talked about our alphas in the past. Not everyone's going to be like a Michael Jordan or a Tom Brady who may prioritize competition winning over everything else, but that could be to the detriment Mm -hmm. of their overall health and mental health and their relationships. At the end of the day, we have to look at this in the long term. And Simone Biles is already a champion. She's already a gold medalist. She's already, she's won like, eight years worth of competitions in a row over the past eight years. This is, a, this is the GOAT, undeniable. And she just couldn't do it. And that's okay. And we have to be okay with that. We have to take a step back from our own entertainment to see that this is an individual. Yeah. And she's already got money in the bank. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a, it's, this is a situation that I think, you know, it, it, it's taken on this narrative for many reasons, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's a lack of understanding. Um, you know, it's confusion. You know, it's this kind of that competitive edge and drive that America has. You know, we want to win at all. You know, at, at everything at all costs. It's, you know, kind of our culture, who we are. Um, that's just those are the athletes that we, you know, we we tend to validate the most, right? You know, those that are willing to do kind of whatever it takes. This is new, right? This is different. Um, you know, having to kind of accept an athlete as the best, you know, as truly great, um, but with clear flaws, right? Uh, flaws that, in fact, they are essentially wearing on their sleeve, right? Flaws that impact their performance, right? Because everyone has flaws. Yeah. And, and I think we do have a tendency as, as people, you know, in, in this group, these group settings to, you know, I don't want to say deify, you know, great athletes or greatness, but, you know, we certainly can have unrealistic 
unrealistic expectations um, you know of what they they are you know what they can be what they can tolerate and withstand um, and I you know I think this has been well documented in fact you know the last the last dance documentary that you know we had several podcast episodes on last year you know we talked about how that interlude in MJ's career Michael Jordan's career when you know, he retired for those couple of years to the baseball thing, you know, how a lot of what was driving that was, was that, you know, of course his father passed and, you know, and, and he, you know, he felt um, you know, obviously brokenhearted, um, but his grief was sort of exacerbated by the reaction from the media, right? I mean, he, he was very clear about this in the documentary where he, he just felt that the media really turned their back on him because of, of his decision to kind of take a step back. Mm -hmm. And this, this is also in the setting of them gambling addiction, which right. that's a certifiable mental health diagnosis. Yeah. And they're picking at that scab. Picking at the scab, you know, uh, and he really, you know, went through a really tough time. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate because I mean, here he is, large, almost certainly the greatest athlete of all time, you know, Olympics or otherwise, you know, Michael Jordan, and you know even he you know sort of fell victim right to this you know this same narrative that we're talking about with simone where it's like man you know he he he, he kind of did everything right for that team that city won them you know three consecutive nba championships which you know is, is just you know phenomenal feat and yet he couldn't get that support you know that that love when he showed that vulnerability um and it's 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 really fascinating because you kind of wonder where 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 this goes like where the line in the sand is in terms of like how we how we should be really relating to these athletes um when when they're given everything that you know they can and all these expectations are, are kind of thrust upon them but they can't they, they can't ever really be human right they can't ever really be normal mm -hmm. and it, it's tough it's just a very difficult difficult conversation it's almost it's impossible to kind of navigate i think with the expectations the country the fans and this is the olympics mind you so this only happens once every four years this one was extended an extra year coming off a pandemic where everyone was isolated and and more depressed and anxious than they ever were for mo for the most part so the pressure it's even more pressure this is this is the face of the Olympics for us here in the United States. And and let's not forget, as you take a step back and look at the individual, this is an individual who has gone through sexual trauma. She was part of the gymnastics team with Larry Nasser. Nasser. Whatever it is. Whatever the hell his name is. This is an individual who's talked openly about her struggles with depression, anxiety, ADHD. She's had suicidal thoughts before, and, and gymnastics was her outlet for that. Let's not forget about that. Um, so let's not forget about that. She's been through more in her life exactly. than, than we could even imagine. So no one's been in her shoes. No one's competed at, not many people have competed at that highest level. No one has been as dominant as her in her sport. Yeah. Mental health, people were talking about, oh, she dropped out during the competition. Why did she do that? Why didn't she wind it before and allow someone else to compete? Mental health doesn't play by any our, our rules. Mental health issues, anxiety, depression, mm -hmm. it's not timed perfectly it, it doesn't care about time or or 
the 24 hours in a day, it comes when it comes. And sometimes despite being having therapists, which Simone has and, and treatment and being part of a, a great community, sometimes it busts through that. And that's not enough to overcome these challenges. And it's really hard for a lot of people to see unless they felt it themselves. And at the end of the day, people will just kind of wash that down the drain and be like, it's so what she's, she makes millions of dollars. Um, she's this privileged athlete who, who's on TV every day and has all these sponsorships. She should be able to tough through it and represent our country. And, and she shouldn't quit. She's a quitter. Yeah. It's terrible. That just shows your ignorance when you say stuff like that. Cause you don't understand, you don't understand high level competition and you don't understand mental health. And you don't understand people, you know, how people work yeah that's the biggest thing right there yeah, how people work you know and, and how people feel and how you know emotions work you know and, and how they can work on you you know and influence your your physical abilities you said it earlier right the mind and the body are inherently linked and so you know when you're having emotional challenges you know and and when they're at the kind of that in, in that acute phase Right. It's going to be very difficult to just kind of filter that out um, when you're in a high level competition, the weight of the world on your shoulders, um, the expectations of, you know, 300 plus million people. You know, it's just a lot. And you mentioned a little bit about her background or childhood uh, traumas. But I mean, there's even been some more recent struggles, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a public story. So. Hopefully she doesn't mind my sharing, but you know that her brother, you know, had some legal issues, you know, involved with some sort of like high-level kind of murder case, and and that stuff, you know, it's going to weigh on you, man. I mean, you can't as a as a human being, you you can't separate your feelings from your environment. Okay? You just can't do it, especially those that are your inner circle, right? You're those that are really mm -hmm. close to you that you trust that you know depend on you and so forth part of your support system. Yeah. I would argue it'd be more of a character flaw if that stuff didn't affect her. Yeah. If she kind of had what we talked about before that, that sociopathic type traits, yeah. which quite frankly, a lot of the greatest of all time kind of do, they have very um, low levels of, of empathy and are more kind of selfish and centered and goal oriented on, on winning above all. But as we can see that, that she's not like that, she's more like, the general population. And so I get that a lot of people are going to say, well, in order to overcome mental health struggles, in order to overcome anxiety or, or depression, you have to, you have to face it head on and you have to try to push through, um, for anxiety, you have to, to face those things that cause you anxiety. If you want to um, get better at public speaking and not have a frog in your throat, you have to public speak. Um, if you want to help with depression, behavioral activation is helpful. You get out there and you physically do things. So a lot of people are saying, well, you got to toughen through it. This is setting a bad example by giving up, letting your, your mental illness or issue win in this situation. Time and place. This is an individual who we, we just talked about has been through challenges, has weathered the storm, has already won six Olympic medals, four of which are gold. She's already done that. She's already proven that. So obviously she has the wherewithal to, to know herself, know her body, know her mind, and know when it's time to let the other girls step in. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and a lot of other people could benefit from that, you know, knowing when to let go, 
You know, I think that's just something that really lets we all could could benefit from. But yeah, I mean, you know, everything you said is spot on. And uh, more recently, though, she had made a comment about like how some of the effect that people don't really appreciate greatness and, and kind of what goes into it. She said something like she has to sort of like, you know, compete on such a high level every time because she set the bar so high for herself, essentially. And that is that is kind of, uh, I think, something that um, may be a part of this, too, you know, just kind of like almost like a little bit of a, of a self-induced pressure, you know, like just, you know, having to carry that weight. Oh, yeah. We're not immune to that. We, we are like sponges. That's part of our development is through social learning from others. So we're, the external pressure is going to get to us. And if you're a famous athlete and you're on social media, we've talked about social media, you're getting it from a million, hundreds of millions of times more than you would be otherwise if you're just a normal person. And she's, she's talked about this, how and she actually put this on her Instagram less than a day ago, so shortly after this occurred. She said, the outpouring love and support I've received has made me realize I'm more than my accomplishments in gymnastics, which I never truly believed before. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was... What do you think about that? Yeah, so, so it kind of, uh, I think, goes back to, to what, what you were saying earlier. You know, she, she didn't feel supported. She didn't feel appreciated. She didn't feel like she could be vulnerable. She didn't feel like she could really ever be anything less than 100% and be accepted. Yeah, it sounds a lot like she identified as an athlete, as a gymnast, that was her identity. And that identity is obviously the greatest of all time. And she embodied that. She, she, she talked up the goat. And we've talked about this on several podcasts. Like at the end of the day, you're more than just an athlete. I don't mean to steal that from, from LeBron and company, but these are individuals. These are humans. So we sometimes think they're just athletes. And then they sometimes just think they're athletes. And we've talked about how before that can set you up for failure when that goes away, when maybe the pressure gets too high. So I'm glad that she's gotten to a point where she can truly believe that she is more than the end results of what she does with regards to gymnastics. Yeah, indeed, man. And I just wanted to touch quickly on, you know, this, the, a lot of the, the criticism and the kind of like fake news stuff that gets put out there about mental health and, you know, this kind of like idea that you can just kind of will, will it away, right? If you're you know, depressed, right? Or if you're having, you know, sort of like a, you know, really high level of anxiety, right? Or, you know, any, any of these things that we deal with, I just want to tell people, I mean, you can't any more will yourself out of a mental health crisis, then you can take cancer out of your body, right? And just, you know, somehow discard it or, you know, toss it in the trash or something like that. Like, it, it, it's just impossible. Like, you know, it's a, in, it's intrinsically linked, right, to your, 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 your thoughts, um, you know, and, you know, everything you think about is going to ultimately translate 
into everything you feel. Yeah. Um, so that's what it is, man. It's funny you say that because when you do something like that, when you try to will yourself through it, you're almost digging your heels in the sand because partially that whole mindset, the mindset you had before you had the mental health struggle is partially responsible to what brought you to that mental health struggle. Not to say that mental issues or mental health is a choice, but when you face a mental health struggle, you have to look in the mirror and determine whether or not you need to change your mindset, whether or not you need to ask for help. And I think asking for help is ultimately the best way to do that because you can't necessarily overcome these things by yourself because you've been programmed to navigate the world in a certain way. And that's partially led you to maybe having some ups and downs and maybe more downs than ups. So it comes to a point where you have to ask for help. You have to reach out. Yeah. Friends, family, mental health professionals. Yeah. And because sometimes it does take a village. And I am so happy that you said that because man, that that's exactly right. And, and, and this is something that I, you know, I, I think a, Simone Biles critics on this topic have to hear, you know, they have to know this because no matter who you are, and this includes Michael Jordan, right? It includes, you know, whoever you want to put in this discussion. Um, if you're struggling, whether it's a chronic physical illness um, or chronic mental illness, right? Like you can't get through that without someone else, right? At least, at least, you know, somebody, mm -hmm. okay? Yep. You, we all need somebody to lean mm -hmm. on, right? Oh, yeah. Like that's, that's just, that's the, re that's the reality, you know. That's wellness right there is that's relationships. Wellness. That's how mm -hmm. we diagnose yeah. a mental illness is when you, you begin to have dysfunction because you can have all the symptoms in the world. But if you ma maintain functioning with regards to your occupation, your school and your relationships, then you're okay. You're okay. You know, and, and we talked about how Michael Jordan, one of the things that he was really blessed with was a lot of great relationships around him throughout his lifetime, right? From beginning right up until now. I mean, he's always had, you know, people that really loved him and supported him in his corner from the beginning. Yeah, may not have been his teammates, but he had people. Mm -hmm. No doubt. I mean, you know, his parents are strong figures, you know, obviously his wish with his father is, is well documented, his coaches, you know, he had great coaches, you know, they had great relationships, you know, with those people and, 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 you know, sort of mentors, you know, along the way. And, um, and he has, has been um, very, very um, open about his, you know, how important his relationships were to his success. So, you know, it, 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 you know, you look, when you think about Simone and I think about all the people, all the, all the sort of negativity, it helps me realize why for her, the mountain to climb is so much steeper, right? Because she doesn't have any, she, I mean, we, we know about, you know, the, the issues that she had growing up, you know, and, and the lack of, know that that kind of strong holding environment which you know obviously was not her fault you know it was a situation that she was born into and and yet you know she was so resilient that in spite of not having 
good strong role models in, you know in terms of parents and then initially when her gymnastic team becomes her new family they have their team doctor who is sexually molesting mm. the right. members of the team right 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 you know so you know and and we we know you're you're a child psychiatrist so i mean you are an expert in understanding that your your early relationships you know and your your sort of your, your parental figures you know those those relationships they set the stage and the foundation you know for for how you see yourself in all relationships later in life and through adulthood so that's insecure those are insecure attachments it's really going to inform how you feel in in you know many of your relationships throughout life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so and that's something that you know you work you have to work through in therapy yeah but it's tough it's not it's not easy. easy and she's she definitely has a family with the u.s olympic team now you can just see how they interact um it seems like these girls really really love each other and care for each other and she you saw it they she was excited for the for the team to get a silver and they were excited for her they dedicated it to her and then like i said before when one door closes, another opens. And when we have Sunisa Lee, who ended up winning gold and all around for the, for the United States. So, um, and that's, that's one of Simone's teammates. So it, it's great to see. And yes. yeah, it really is. this, this is something where this has been out in the news a lot recently. And, uh, and we saw that, and there's a lot of comparisons people were talking about, uh, Naomi Osaka, the tennis player, um, probably, People would argue the best going right now. She beat Serena, I think, earlier this year, last mm -hmm. year in a big Grand Slam. And leading into the Olympics, um, didn't want to do press, so it was fined. Um, and then dropped out of the French Open and then decided to skip Wimbledon in order to prepare for the, the Olympics. And then she was the torchbearer. She, she was the one to light the big flame at the very end, representing her country of Japan. Mm -hmm. And she was going to compete. She competed in the, in the Olympics. So this has been in the limelight how mental health and and the, i think the tagline is it's okay not to be okay there it is and it's something that it's correct it's correct because all of us have times where we're not okay um that doesn't mean you you can just kind of sit in that and stew in that and and avoid stressors but okay yeah it's okay and when it's not okay that's when things start to go south, right? Not that, and not that I want people to marinate on that for a moment because that statement, that tagline, it, it's powerful for many reasons. It's like, it's okay to be, to be okay. And the reality is it needs to be okay. <laughs> it really does. Because when it's not okay for you, then you're essentially rejecting or, you know, dare I say, avoiding, neglecting, you know, some real, real stuff, real shit, you know, that you have to kind of sort, sort out. Or, or on the other side of that, if it's a problem uh, or if it's not okay for other people, right, for the people around you, your, your support group that is also not going to feel very good, right? That's going to, that's going to, that's going to contribute to, mm -hmm. you know, some, some, some aggravation, some, some exacerbation. Yeah. All, these are all things that are counteractive to 
getting yourself out of a, of a struggle, a mental health struggle, any type of struggle. It's, it's a brutal feedback cycle when we're talking mental illness, when we're talking depression. Depressed mood, sad, no energy or motivation to do the things that used to find joy in, do the things that make you happy. So not only you're just sad for no reason, but you also don't have the motivation or the energy to do the things that yes. help you feel better. But it's not just happy in the sort of like, you know, emotion, feeling, you know, kind of fleeting, ephemeral, you know, emotional experience sense. It's, it's the things that enable you to thrive, right? The things that are positively reinforcing, therefore are maintaining your confidence, right? Maintaining your sense of self-worth, right? Your sense of, of, you know, sort of pride and personal satisfaction. And, you know, those things, those driving forces that enable you to, to be successful in life, you know, and do the things that you have to do, right? So it's, 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 uh, it's not just happiness, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really like, it's, 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 the, it's the joy that comes from being able to kind of bear the fruits of your own success, right? And your own abilities. And, and, and depression robs that from, robs yeah. you of that. Depression, anxiety, when you fear it, when you feel like it's not okay to be depressed or it's not okay to be anxious, you give it more power. And you don't want to show anyone else you're anxious or you're depressed, so you isolate. You're, you're definitely not going to ask for help, but then you're, on top of that, you're going to hide what you're feeling. And like you said, that's a vicious cycle. And in order to, to break that feedback loop, you need to be able to ask for help. Yeah, that, that hiding thing, that's a fascinating concept. Um, and I just want to kind of highlight it for a moment because, you know, it, 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 it does indicate that, that human beings are naturally pro-social. Right? And being pro-social, meaning like we are naturally inclined to be in groups, right, and, and to connect and to be together, not, you know, in isolation, you know, like we hunted in groups, you know, in our primitive stages. You know, we we move together in in groups and teams, and that's how we're we're sort of uh, kind of programmed. And you know, when it comes to depression, right, and anxiety for that matter, and you know, a lot of mental illnesses, there does seem to be this sort of, you know, this drive to become less social, right, and to kind of withdraw. And I and I re I realized that um, a lot of that I think is not just because of you know the person feeling you know bad about themselves or feeling like you know other people would necessarily make them feel worse or attack them. I actually think it's also kind of a a, pr a protection for the group, right? Like I don't want to bring the group down, right? I don't want my negative energy right, to, to be the thing that takes away from everyone else's experience, right? I don't want to be a burden. A burden. There you go. And this, is, this, this cycle is by no means easy, 
easy to treat. As a, as a society, we need to get ahead of this a little bit better. We've already talked about the exacerbating factors with putting athletes on pedestals, social media, more comparators. You're comparing yourself to faulty standards. But I, we've t- I've also talked about this. It starts with education at a young age, parenting, schools. I think I believe we can do this in schools to teach uh, emotional intelligence to, and, and specifically what I mean is like anybody who knows cognitive behavioral therapy, I think it would help everyone or in anyone in their life to be able to f- identify what they're feeling. Cause a lot of times we feel these things physically, emotionally, however you want to put it, but we can't put a name on it. We don't know what it is. We don't know if it's anger, sadness, fear, embarrassment, shame. We need a name. We put a, need to put names to these. So we better have a better understanding. And then guess what? We have to figure out what are the thought patterns? What are the thoughts I'm having that maybe cause these emotions? Or when I have these emotions, what kind of thoughts am I having? And then the final step would be, what are the behaviors? What are, what thing, what are the actions that may have resulted in this? What are, what are the behaviors that can help this? And just figuring out better understanding your, yourself as an individual and how, how some of the, your emotions and your thoughts and behaviors, how they're all connected, just that education alone, just that knowledge alone, that self-awareness could go so far in not only preventing mental health struggles, but, but allowing you to, to be okay if, if one of these arise because you know what's going on, you understand what's going on and you know the way out. Oh yeah, I mean, awareness is where it all starts. Where it all starts. That's really what kind of like unlocks the door, right? You know, so you can really finally start to get in there um, and do and doing that good work, you know, kind of self renovation and and healing. And what what you know should inevitably follow uh, self awareness and ultimately situational awareness. You know, you know, developing that familiarity of the needs of others, you know, the needs of your environment, you know, your community and all of that, and just understanding and appreciating, you know, kind of them as well and, and how you relate uh, within your groups and your communities. The next experience you want to have is one of gratitude. Gratitude is what really kind of like is the, the glue you know, it really brings it all together, um, you know, kind of bundles and, and tethers, you know, all the cords, you know, when it, when it comes to just like kind of building, you know, this, this home, this framework, this structure that eventually becomes resilience. It's gratitude, man, because with gratitude, that's when you, you, you develop the power and the strength to accept the things that you have just discovered through your awareness and that's that's where the power really really comes it's powerful to, to try to change the narrative to try to kind of muster that that momentum towards towards being feeling better and, and being better overall um or being okay um even if you're not necessarily feeling better and we see that like even simone biles her last for social media posts on Instagram, she's posting her teammates with their medals smiling, dancing with uh, with her teammate Childs, talking about how grateful she is to have the awareness that people care for her because she, not just because of her results and her being a gymnast, and then posting with the, the new uh, 
gold medalist and the and the gymnastics individual all around that these are specific gratitude exercises expressions expressions no doubt and it, it that shows me that she's no it's like she's well equipped and she's going to get through this yeah she's on the right path and everything everything's going to go be okay we got a silver medal instead of a goal and the team all around oh she well she's going to be okay but are we going to be okay you know that's the real question and <laughs> and and i you know and i and i say that because you know really you know simone is is teaching us the way you know she's showing us uh what what we need to be about and need to be thinking about at times like this right it's like appreciating what she has been and will always be um yeah and and giving her that opportunity um to deal with what she has to deal with right i, I think we we had touched on this maybe uh, not on a podcast but how there is a generation change and i think other athletes i think we saw this with giannis they're they're showing us there's another way mm. to be the greatest in your sport there's a, there's another recipe to to all-time greatness other than and we've seen this in the past don't get me wrong but it wasn't the majority um, but there's another recipe other than just being that hard nose show no emotion blinders on winning above everything at the cost of everything there's other ways to do it Indeed. but that has to be cultivated you know by a community right that has to be uh you know something that you know the 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 community is willing to accept, you know, willing to appreciate. Um, that's, that's, I think, how those types of personalities, those types of athletes will continue to have space um, and, and, you know, opportunities to thrive. Because like, as we alluded to earlier, you know, it, it does take a village. It, it does take at least, you know, some one other person, right, to to believe in you, to validate you, um, to support you, no matter how great you are. We talked about how as, as, as sports psychiatrists, our job is to optimize the individual's overall wellness, overall health, mental health, and overall health. Regardless, uh, at the end of the day, regardless of how well they compete, if they can't come to the conclusion that competition is detrimental to their overall health then that's one less stressor that's a step in the right direction now ultimately a lot of these individuals who who grew up playing sports they, they love playing sports if not consciously some unconsciously so they're going to remain their sport and want to want to succeed but sometimes it they those don't align and that's that's okay we're not performance uh psychologists well listen to me, this is all about lessons learned. And that's the greatest thing about sports is it teaches us life lessons. I look at the, the Simone Biles situation and, you know, particularly when you take it from the standpoint of, um, you know, how her teammate Suni won that gold medal is, okay, so this is why team and teamwork is so important, right? Because it's next person up, right? Next man up, next woman up, right? Simone, you know, has to, to step back, but then that yields an opportunity for someone else. 
And now we have a new, you know, young, amazing gymnast to root for, you know, to add to this great legacy of uh, American gymnasts. Yeah. And, and it's awesome. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with how this, this played uh-huh. out. And I want to touch on her story a little bit because we, we love stories here and she has a great story. So she's Sunisa Lee. She often goes by Suni Lee. Um, she's, she's the first ever, she's the first ever Hmong American to compete for Team USA. Amazing. The whole Hmong community is rallying behind her. Go check out the videos. It's amazing. Her parents, she's only 18, by the way. She's the daughter of refugees who fled Laos for the U.S. at the end of the Vietnam War. Amazing. So this is, and they did a story with her and her dad. Her her dad, um, I believe, is paralyzed from the waist down, so he's in a wheelchair, but he was so encouraging to her. He built her a little beam when she was a kid. But in her relationship with her her family and her community just seems amazing and with her fellow gymnasts. But to see, this is like the American dream we've talked about. It really is. A a child of immigrants who came here, fled a war-torn area to come to the United States to, to better their lives and their daughter becomes the gold medalist and probably the most popular Olympic sport winter or summer combined. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it is a great American story and, you know, it kind of makes me wonder like why it is that immigrants get so much flack, you know, and, and here's what I mean. What you just said, that narrative, it was so powerful to me. You said her parents led a country, a war-torn country that was halfway across the world, right? And they chose us. Could have gone anywhere. They chose us. And, you know, a lot of Americans take for granted the fact that, you know, like you were born here, you know, you sort of uh, ultimately you know, had to, to be here. And therefore you, you sort of just were, were very privileged, right? You were very fortunate. Absolutely. Very fortunate, but it was never a choice. And I think it's much more powerful of a narrative when someone chooses, like I, they, they chose America and have given their all right. Um, you know, uh, as as citizens or as you know people that that have you know been here now for for several generations they have produced an american champion that has represented this country on on you know the highest stage and it's just it's just amazing yeah i think that's another thing that i didn't appreciate watching the the united states in the olympics um, when i was a kid is that we have so many individuals whose maybe they did or their parents came from other countries and chose to represent the United States and not to mention a lot of the athletes from other countries, swimmers, um, gymnasts, what have you come to America to train at our universities. So you'll see a lot of uh, uh, swimmers that have, have trained at universities in the the States and and basketball players and, and a lot of different people. So yeah, that, that, we're, we're good at sports. I guess that's what it means, but we're also, um, I mean, we as a community, um, no, I think it was just cool to see, see that and, and to realize that now as an adult watching the Olympics that 
we're not just one homogeneous country. We are a melting pot. I mean, obviously it depends on what part of the country you live in, but I, I still feel like that's true. And I still feel like um, we're all together in this and, and the Olympics are just a reminder of that. Oh, it is. Yeah. Cause I mean, you see it, like you see the diversity of America. And that, honestly was so impressive for me when I watched these different sporting events and I'm seeing like the U S team versus you know, China U S team versus, you know, whatever country, Japan, Germany, UK, whatever it is. Not Russia, though, because they, uh, they're competing under the Russian Olympic Committee. They can't officially compete under the Russian flag due to sanctions of uh, doping. Well, but, but what I'm seeing is this diverse, amazing group of, you know, just people. I mean, you, you know, you look at the, the American teams and, you know, most of the time I'm just seeing a rainbow, right? I mean, just, um, you know, people that, you know, could, could largely be from anywhere. I mean, it, you know, just like, it's sort of like more of a hybrid of many other teams. And it's really beautiful actually, because you see that group of people and then you see beside them on the TV caption, United States of America, right? And it's powerful, man, because it's like, this is a united group of very different types of people. Class, creed, race. Yeah, all the above. Culture, it, why do you think we time and time again win the most medals, most golds? Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're sort of the, yeah, the best of all worlds. You know, that's what we try to be. <laughs> And, um, you know, obviously we have a long way to go, you know, in, in fulfilling the promise of, of that, you know, sort of declaration of independence, but we, uh, we're, we're, I think, you know, still headed in that direction. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think let's, let's, I want to touch on one more point and then maybe get some teasers for a, another Olympic podcast we may do in the future, for sure. but the, heading into the Tokyo. These, these 2020, 2021 Olympics, the IOC, the International um, Olympic Committee, actually, uh, and all the na national committees throughout the world, they made specific steps in order to address mental health. Mm. So they actually created guidelines for athletes and their coaches to educate, screen for, and manage mental health issues. And they're working with independent experts. So... It's funny because they consulted one of our mentors, Dr. Claudia Reardon, who works mm -hmm. up in, uh, in Wisconsin. But for the first time ever, Team USA, they brought four mental health specialists along with their team, a psychologist, two psychiatrists, and a social worker. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then within that, each specific US team also had a dedicated psychologist. So like, for example, the women's gymnastics team or the gymnastics team at large probably had their own psychologist. Um, there. So this, this is obviously a step in the right direction to have mental health professionals. They are physically there along the way. And, it, and obviously an idea or ideally they've been working with these athletes, with these coaches for years and, and just prep preparing during those four years, just as much as they were preparing the physical tool sets, but that's a step in the right direction. But as we're seeing, there's obviously issues still arise. They, they do. Um, and, um, it's great that there's people there that are 
on one hand, a, a support group for the athletes, but on the other hand, you know, a, a sort of a spokesperson, you know, for, for the athletes. I, I, I was really, I was really impressed by uh, the, the social worker um, who, who uh, his name is escaping me right now, but, but she actually came out publicly um, immediately after Simone uh, announced her decision and there was all that you know, kind of backlash and just really made you know, a very powerful statement uh, kind of using her professional title, right? Um, took to social media and just said, hey, you know, this is, this is a real, real thing. And this is not something that people should should be uh, disparaging. Um, you know, this is something that you know people should be really supportive about. And, and, and if anything, you know, we should be honoring her courage, and, you know, her her bravery for being willing to come forward and uh, and say, you know, what, what's really going on. So that was that was good. It was great to have like a mental health professional be the the leading. Kind of narrative, uh, the, the the leading um, you know sort of uh, statement uh, on that topic. Yeah, we've heard at, time and time again athletes, Olympic athletes, talk about how mental health previously within the Olympics and competition never touched on. You got to deal with it. We have Raven Saunders who's competing in the shot put. Talk about. On uh, Time Magazine, you can read this. She's open about it, how she was on her way to commit suicide, but called her therapist. And her therapist said, take a breath and come right up. I'll be right over. And she stopped. She went the other direction and met with her therapist soon after, and that saved her life. Wow. And she was able to make the Olympic team and, and now is, is competing. So and we've talked about Simone Manuel, the swimmer who broke barriers last year. She talked about how... The athletic culture in general is one in which you're driven to continuously push your body, in some cases your mind, to the maximum potential. And she, she was saying this in reference to the fact that she was struggling with depression during her training related to overtraining syndrome. And we've talked about that before. Sometimes being an athlete actually, put, actually puts you in a high-level athlete, dedicated athlete, a willful athlete, puts you at risk for depression. Just like it puts you at risk for injury. Indeed, yeah. No, that that's uh, that pressure, man. You know that 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 pressure, it comes in many forms. It affects us in many ways. So I'm, I'm glad that the Olympic Committee is taking a step in the right direction. Just like all these other professional leagues we've talked about, this is an international committee. So that's a step in the right direction. I, and I, at the end of the day, we, we kind of are a little skeptical about these league-wide mental health programs because there's we conflicts are. of interest there and, and, there, and there's only so much you can do at the, at the, uh, the corporate or the managerial level. Um, players, coaches, peers, us as fans, everyone needs to adopt this or most people need to be able to adopt the fact that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to ask for help because ultimately that's, that's how you're going to be able to, to get better. Yeah, man, I agree. You know, like it's, it's great that they are, uh, they're, they're addressing this, you know, really uh, uh, head on and um, kind of making a, a bold statement. Uh, I think that's, that's really important. 
um, you know, having this group, this team of uh, professionals, even if it's just for optics, it makes a statement and, and that's really important. It, the statement is of, we value the, the mental health of our players, our performers, our athletes, and that's huge. You know, so we love that. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, we understand that the Olympics is kind of just a temporary thing. And then these players and performers and athletes are going to go back to their respective homes, their respective countries, and they're going to, you know, many of them perform as professionals. And we still have a long way to go, right, in terms of how we deal with this stuff professionally in professional sports, right, at home. And um, you know, one of the things that is is absolutely going to have to be addressed is, you know, how we deliver mental health care to athletes, right? Because, yeah, it's great to have a team doctor and you know maybe you know team psychologist. I know that's kind of a thing that has been around for a long time. You know, somebody that that essentially can do the screening and you know all that. But I I think that any long term treatment scenarios likely should be managed, almost certainly should be managed by an independent set of professionals, right? Independent of the team. Because the influence of the team, you know, politics, you know, and all that that just happens in business and corporate environments, that can, can definitely become, as you said, a conflict of interest when it comes to, you know, the best course of action with, with mental health care. I couldn't have said it better myself. So yeah, I think ultimately it's going to be a lot more helpful for an individual if they have their own individual person that they work with. And, and ideally you get in on the ground floor and you start exploring your mental health before a problem arises. So, um, so you'll be better equipped, just like you, you train to get your body better equipped for competition. You got to train your mind to get it better equipped for competition. Um, all right. So one other thing, big topic we want to talk about at the be the start of the Olympics or before the beginning of the Olympics, um, we might want to make sure to touch on this because there's there's all these different dynamics with this as well as Shikari Richardson. Yeah. And if, for those of you who don't know, she was the sprinter, the favorite uh, to win gold, and she got suspended for marijuana and couldn't compete at these Olympics. And that that was another polarizing thing that happened. Yeah, indeed. Um... This is a tough one. This is a really, this is a tough one because, um, you know, obviously there, there, you know, we, the, the, the whole, you know, sort of like story of cannabis and, and marijuana, uh, marijuana usage has been uh, in, the, in the United States, a national and national political issue for several years now, right? It's just this thing that, um, you know, so many of us have kind of had to like, you know, almost like, I don't know, it, it, it's kind of been a polarizing topic in some ways, but then you've also kind of seen where there's just been this kind of steady, gradual mm -hmm. progress forward. Oh, the people are speaking with their votes and it's becoming legalized and more and Wait, more. Right, right, right. So even though the federal level, the national sort of, you know, discourse and, and, you know, Congress and, you know, all of that, they've been pretty steadfast, right, in terms of not wanting to touch it and just, you know, continue to outlaw it or whatever. Um, but, 
you know, kind of year after year, you know, new states are kind of jumping on board with with totally uh, sort of legalizing it, not just for medical purposes, but even for recreational purposes. And all of this is happening, um, you know, sort of in the midst of, uh, you know, this pandemic, right? And all the shit you know, that's happened in people's lives across the board, whether it be death in the family, you know, people losing jobs, losing money, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and, and then there's Shakari Richardson, right, who is this firecracker, okay, this person that, I mean, I've just never seen anything like this, you know, in terms of, you know, her energy, her drive. She has sort of like, from my eyes, why I see all-time great level talent in this really small, tiny package of a person. She has this amazing energy, you know, where she she lights up the room everywhere she goes. You know, she lights up the, you know, the stage, the track, the field, the wherever she's at. You know, she's on camera and she's electric. You know, she has so much personality. Yeah, she she is man, and so she has the star power. Right. Uh, and the talent, mm -hmm. right, which, you know, America, we've always been about, you know, people that that are confident. Yeah. People that look the part know, and that, that, that had the swagger. They look the part. They talk the part. They act the part. They, it's all like Muhammad Ali. Right. All the swag. Right. King Griffey Jr. Right. Well, whatever. Right. Yes. OK. But I was thinking about like Michael Jordan. You know, guys like that, um, just oozing, you know, and, and to see a woman, a young woman with that, that, that energy, um, that influence, it's so cool, right? It's so great to watch because, you know, we've had great women, you know, obviously, uh, athletes for, for, you know, for, you know, since the beginning of time. And now, nowadays, we bask in the glory of the Serena Williams and, you know, people like that. But, you know, those personalities are not this, you know, great, you know, great leaders, right? Great ambassadors, great, you know, examples for young boys and girls, right, to follow, no doubt. But this person is different. You know, she really has the star power, I would say, of a lot of your your great male athletes, you know, of all time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she had a lot of heat coming in the Olympics. No, she She's did. right up there with Simone as being one of the face of our teams. And and so you put all this together, um, and then you know, to have a horrible tragedy take place in her life around the same time that she had to compete right to get into to qualify for the olympics you know one that you know was she told the world on camera which took so much courage especially for a young person like that um you know that you know she made a bad decision as a result of obvious grief that anybody would would have in the in in the very very recent aftermath of her mother's death and uh i just i can't even tell you man um it's just it's heartbreaking it's a heartbreaking story 
um, you know, because you kind of see, that, and obviously, you know, she's going to have plenty of opportunities to prove herself in the future. So, oh yeah, she'll be back. You know, it's only just the beginning for her, but it's just more kind of a testament to, you know, clearly just a lot of, just a lot of things we just need to really address as a, as an American community in terms of what our values are, you know, what, what, what are the things that are really most important? Yeah. And the grand scheme of things, if you take a step back, it's like, that's a justifiable reason she should be able to compete. That's not a performance enhancing drug, how they label it as we all know that. Um, but unfortunately that's the, that's the rule. That's the law. Um, when it comes to the IOC, this international committee, Olympic committee. So obviously there's, we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, like we're coming together for, for competition, for sport. And we, as, as a globe, we can't all, we don't usually come together like this. So imagine coming up with the rules and, and, with regards to what substances are, are legal and not legal is, is a complicated issue that even though we're headed in the right direction when it comes to, to legalization of, of cannabis in the United States, who knows how, how soon that could uh, be adopted by an international committee. Yeah, it, for sure, man. And, and I, I think what, what kind of... But that's a totally separate argument. No, that's it like the, the Sakari Richardson story, her story is, is, is still unwritten. It's, it, we're still in the midst of it. We're at the beginning of it. We are. Um, it's just a speed bump. Yeah. And so this is not about putting a negative spin on all of this because, you know, she, she is still great and this will not diminish her legacy. I think the fact that she was so forthright. Yeah. She owned it. Yeah. She owned it. And, you know, she did the right thing. She took, you know, the, the, the you know, punishment that was levied and, you know, didn't make any excuses. And that's what, you know, a true leader you know, greatness is, is all about, right? Yeah. Um, and she said, she said it herself. She said, don't judge me because I'm human. I just happen to run a little faster. Because oh, people, <laughs> so this even her, even her no, electricity or flash showed in that, that statement. And just, just like people do with Simone, people put her on a pedestal. People said she was not human um, because of her athletic ability and her ability to, to dominate. And when you do that, it's easier to love people, but it's also easier to hate them for the decisions they make. And at the end of the day, she's reiterating it. She's just human as well. Yeah, we all make mistakes, but it's not about that. You know, it's about how, you know, how we deal with it, how we bounce back, you know, how we, how we learn from them, you know, and, and what we take from them. You know, those are the things that really matter in the end, that's the, that's the story of America, right? It's, it's always, it's, it's, a, it's a resilience story, mm -hmm. a redemption story. Yep. And I think it, it, it begins with what Harmon had touched on earlier, self-awareness, being able to understand your own feelings and emotions better. So that way you, you know how, how strong they can be if you understand them for yourself. And then that creates more empathy for other individuals. And then that gratitude piece taking it all in and being appreciative for, for the opportunities for the individuals around you for anything, just creating that positive momentum. These are things that we, we have to start doing in, in order to not only allow ourselves, but allow the people around us to, to heal from traumas or to, to succeed, to be driven, to become driven, to be, to thrive when it comes to relationships, comes to work, when it comes to school, this is the recipe to, to thrive. 
as an individual and as a community and as a society. Yeah. And it's also about being okay with not being okay. You're right. We have to say that that's, that's become the thing of pop culture and I really like it, but, and I shouldn't say, but, and you got to put in the work. You still have to go through steps to reach out to others, ask for help, come to the realization you can't do it on, on your own. And that may be the hardest part, but you got to keep up with that momentum, keep identifying things that you're appreciative for, grateful for, do the things that boost your energy, that boost your mood. You got to be able to put in that work. And at the end of the day, you're going to be better on the other side of this than you were when you first felt that depression or that anxiety or that grief or that pain. All about getting better. All about just, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. You know, just like running the marathon or any long distance run, you know, it's not so much a focus on, you know, fast you can get to the finish line. It's about, you know, just trying to get through it, you know, and, and, uh, that's mindfulness right there. Make it to the end. No doubt. Take appreciation for the highs and the lows. It's a journey. It's a journey. And, uh, you know, if you kind of do things according to what feels, what feels right with your heart, your spirit, you know, according to your values and you abide by principles of mindfulness, you know, which enable self-awareness, situational awareness. You combine those things with routine gratitude practices and, you know, learning to appreciate all that you have and, you know, all that you don't have and accepting all of those things exactly as they are. Confidence will come. You know, as that routine builds, confidence will come and you keep talking to yourself, you know, keep journaling, keep writing, you know, keep grading, you know, keep building, keep growing, always honor and appreciate your relationships with others. Get good at sleep. And <laughs> yeah, take care of your body, take care of, take care of yourself, you know, and, and in the end, um, you know, you will, you will have wellness, you know, you will have you know, the ability to really bounce back. You can't, you can't change adversity. You can't pad the, the world up for you. You can't ignore it. You can't avoid it. You got to prepare yourself for those sharp edges because they're out there. It's really all part of the story. It's all part of the story. I mean, we all have a story, you know, many different chapters. We have the, you know, the intro, Right. Then we have all these different chapters before we get to the end. And um, every tragedy, every triumph, you know, it's all part of this, this miracle of life. And, um, you know, you just got to mm -hmm. keep pressing on to until, until the, until the <laughs> got to keep on keeping on. And that's, right. and that's where we're in today. But let me tease a few topics for the, our next episode, because we're going to do a part two to this. Speaking about feeding into that, we're going to talk about competitive greatness and some of the all-time great athletes. We already talked about some miles that we've seen here at these Olympics. Mm -hmm. So I'll get what about team chemistry. Oh yeah, team dynamics, team chemistry. We'll see how it mm -hmm. happens with the uh, NBA or not the NBA, the men's uh, basketball team and the women's basketball team because we know who the most talented team is or who we know which team has the most talented players. We do. And then 
we're going to talk about breaking barriers. There's several new sports, including skateboarding, that's that are in the Olympics for the first time. We have multiple mothers competing, which I think is fantastic. Um, talk about a, a mental and a physical and a, an overall challenge. Allison Felix, just a little teaser there. We'll talk a lot about her. We have a transgender athlete representing New Zealand. We have a, the youngest competitor, a 12-year-old. I think I'm giving too, away too many spoilers, but that's what we're going to talk about in, <laughs> in part two of our Olympics podcast. Excited. Excited as ever. Yeah, me too, man. Well, I appreciate uh, you coming on and, and, and you're, you're my Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> yeah, we're like the bobsled team. Right. We're just yeah, like, <laughs> two man. Uh, you know, like wouldn't that. have it any other way. Um, All right. I'm the driver. I don't know what they call them. I'm Big Spoon. That, well, I no, actually, I think with bobsled, I think the driver may actually be the guy in front, which means the guy in the yeah. back is kind of on top of him. He's a pusher. He's the pusher. So, you I'll be the be guy the in back. I'll, 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 right. I'll be that guy. I'll be Little Spoon. And on that note, let's and the stigma and continue the conversation. Feel me here. Do you feel me? Oh, no.